0: Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Recruiting Podcast. I'm Billy Embody. With me is Shay Dixon, live from Orlando. Uh, as you guys notice there, he is holed up in one of those ballrooms in the hotel, getting this podcast out to you. I know we usually do the recruiting pod, but this is going to be uh, definitely a hodgepodge of news because with the holidays, we just haven't been able to get together. And of course, Lucky lucky for us, we didn't jump on a pod yesterday, Shay, because we now have some major breaking news uh, to talk about with the future of LSU's uh, 2023 roster with Keyshawn Butte, opting to declare for the 2023 NFL Draft just weeks after he announced he was going to return to the Tigers for 2023. Uh, this is huge news, so let's go ahead. Uh, and first of all, how's Orlando been? How have you been doing uh, down there in uh, my home state?
1: Yes, it has been um solid. We did Universal Studios uh, yesterday, and so that was, what, Wednesday? And we did not have any express pass or anything like that. Uh, but word uh, from the wise now, because I've spent a full day at the park. If you want to get in all the roller coasters, just get in the single rider line much quicker. They last 30 seconds. You don't really need to be sitting with whoever you're with anyways. Um so knocked out a bunch that was fun. Um we'll see what today holds. As you said, I'm I'm at the team hotel. I'm in a random ballroom uh right now. I was previously in a ballroom that uh right after we got set up, Billy turned into the kids daycare and uh the papa shot and screaming of kids was not going to work out. So now I um am in a random ballroom that is quiet for the moment. If you're watching on YouTube, I've got a nice halo sort of coming across my head. The lighting in here is not great, but uh, we made it work. I traveled with my mic, Billy, so I've got that much going for me.
0: Well, um, you can kind of be that angel that flies down to LSU fans to maybe whisper in their ear to get off the ledge of, of you know, thinking there's, you know, a ton of things wrong with the program that all of a sudden Keyshawn Butte is declared for the draft. And look, I mean, this is one of those things where he announced his intention to return. Um, We posted on the board and you you had the scoop on it that Kayshawn was going to be suspended for this game for a violation of team rules. And that was Wednesday around lunch. Fast forward a few hours and I'm making dinner with my wife. And there it is. Kayshawn Butte declares for the 2023 NFL draft. I reached out to Kayshawn on Twitter and said, hey, is this true? Are, Are you being hacked? And... Uh, reached out to some sources and Keishon responded right away. I was, still had that worry in my mind that maybe this is somebody on his Twitter and and doing this because it just came out of nowhere. But it's true. Kayshawn Butte declares for the NFL draft. You were on the you are you are on the ground there. Walk us through kind of the reaction that you're kind of picking up, and obviously this news that Kayshawn Butte is is now uh, off to the NFL
1: yeah like i said i'm staying at the team hotel and i could kind of gauge from reactions as the news was coming out that there were some people surprised by it others not so much and i think you can go back billy to when he announced he was coming back that was the surprise it wasn't a surprise that he ultimately decides to go pro that after three years you're a five-star you had some incredible production as a freshman you've been injured uh, in Keishon's, um situation since then, obviously got injured as a sophomore, didn't look the same as a junior, uh, certainly didn't have the same production, volume, targets, all of that. And when he announced he was coming back, it was okay. Then he wants to put out one more year of film. Uh, like when he returned, he w- when he announced he was coming back, there were some people that were like, this is not going to be over until the deadline in January. And certainly... We didn't even have to get into January to find out uh, that he did change his mind. He reversed his course. He's going to turn pro. And I don't – like people are looking into this every which way uh, possible to say what is Kayshawn seeing that might be wrong with the team. I don't think it's that at all. I think this is a decision that Kayshawn's making. He didn't travel to the bowl game. He was suspended for a violation of team rules. So that he knew long before today he wasn't playing in the bowl. Um, in fact, he knew when he announced he was coming back that he wasn't playing in the bowl. So I'm not surprised at the ultimate result. I'm just surprised at the I'm coming back, I'm not coming back, I'm suspended for the bowl game, like whole little three, four-week stretch uh, that we just went through. But phenomenal player. Billy, for me, it's he hasn't looked the same since that injury. And he said that going into this past season that He didn't feel 100%. It looked like he wasn't 100% for much of the beginning of the season. I'm curious what his draft stock will look like because he was popping up on some mock uh, drafts as a first-rounder, a late first-round guy, even with the season that uh, was far below what expectations were. If you're an LSU fan, look, you monitor that, you see where he goes, you root for him in the pros, all that. They're fine at receiver. And we'll talk about this when we break down their class, Billy, but – How often did we wonder, even when Kayshawn announced he was coming back, if they could hold on to all four receivers they had committed and all four of them signed? So your room gets that much deeper. You thought all along that Kayshawn and Jure were going to be the two guys who were not going to be on the team anymore. Jure was a senior. Kayshawn was draft eligible. And the thought was, okay, those two guys will be gone. Everyone else will be back. The only guy who hit the portal was Jack Besh, which – wasn't a major surprise given where his playing time went from year one to year two. But you bring back – look, the bowl game will show us a lot in terms of what their top three guys are right now. It would be Malik, it's BTJ, BT, Brian Thomas, and Kyron Lacy. Those are kind of your top three if you take out Butte, uh and Dre Jenkins. Then you move into the offseason, you're going to get a look at Landon Ibieta. Chris Hilton is healthy again you go down to these new four guys that are coming in. I don't know if I'm missing anybody else in that mix, but they'll be at double digit receivers. So that's a deeper room than you had this year. And there's a thought that, Hey, this, this group now with Jaden and Nuss and Walker all back. And certainly with Nuss and Jaden guys, they've really repped with a lot and will obviously be in competition to be playing. Uh, that they have a lot better rapport with them, uh, you know, going into the off season. So, It's not the end of the world uh, that Kayshawn went pro. In fact, it's what we all expected all along. It was just that three or four weeks where we thought he was coming back. That was the big surprise.
0: Yeah, and I I think kind of looking back on on this, I mean, some people on the board said, oh, this is because Jaden's coming back. It's not. Like, the rumor for so long was that Jaden Daniels was going to return to LSU, Um, and it was just a matter of when he was going to announce it, if that was the final decision, if that was set in stone. Um And he announced, obviously, that he was returning. And Kayshawn congratulated him on and, and said, run it back on Instagram. Now, he was suspended for a violation of team rules. Brian Kelly said when Kayshawn returned that their relationship was evolving. And he said that knowing that, you know, Kayshawn wasn't going to play in the bowl game. He said it on, I believe, December 15th, um, long after they, they knew he wasn't going to be playing. So I, I think Kayshawn's last year is certainly one that I would just call interesting. Um, from you know, trying to battle back from his injury, you know, he said he he kind of worked through, um, let's just say that that maturity maturing process to handle the rehab to be where he needed to be. Brian Kelly said it, I think, at a signing day press conference that he didn't have a relationship with with Sean. He hadn't seen him around much. Clearly, there were things going on. Uh, across the last year, you look look back at around this time last year, all the rumor was is Kayshawn Butte is going to transfer to Alabama, <laughs> and you know we we passed through that point of his career. This was, I think, one of those things where I would have thought, especially with him being a dad now, he would have just gone pro. Um, I think maybe with the violation of team rules, he said, you know what, maybe maybe college isn't for me. Maybe this this situation isn't what's best for me to have the best career and, and make a living. And I need to go ahead and get out of school and, and move on to that next level.
1: Yeah. And we don't know everything that's going on in the kid's life. Look, he's 21 years old. He came in with lofty expectations. They didn't hit as a junior and he had to make a tough call. You mentioned it. I mean, in the past year, the birth of his first child in the middle of the season that remember he took a game off brian kelly gave him the game off because he wanted to be there for the birth of his first child that's going to weigh heavy on you the mental side uh beyond physical of trying to come back from an injury trying to be number seven trying to be the guy that really leads the receiver room that's a lot to put on a college kid it, it just is and as you noted and i think it's important as i say what i'm saying next there was a real flirtation a year ago when you were going through coaching changes from the prior regime to Brian Kelly and this new staff that he was going to hit the portal and that Bama was going to be after him. And that's where he would go. And now you get to where we're at now. And from just talking to a number of people, half of them, I would say, had the opinion you sensed that it was always sort of one foot in, one foot out. And I think the past month describes that well, right? Like he went from I'm coming back to no, I'm not anymore and I'm leaving it's now, I think, the book we can officially close. Uh, it's it's no chapters left. This is it for his college career. He'll move on. This is the time for Malik and Brian Thomas and uh, Kyron Lacey and the rest of these guys, the newcomers, to all step up into bigger roles, and uh, certainly they're ready for that. Uh, the beat goes on. And look, Kayshawn look, is not at the bowl game, so all these receivers have already been practicing and moving on without him in terms of bowl preparation. That just now remains the same through the offseason. And the other thing is the reality here is the wide receivers who he's with every day probably knew what he was up to in terms of, yeah, he said he's coming back, but now he's suspended. He might not come back anymore. That's not a shock to them. Um, but best of luck to Kayshawn. Um, that was a big snag for them to get uh, out of New Iberia and Westgate. And um, just an, an, It's kind of a tough timing for those kids who all came in during the COVID year. Uh, there were no crowds. There was... Um, coaching changes that followed. They were going through back-to-back 500 seasons. Um, Tough times. So for Kayshawn, best of luck moving forward. Uh, But I do think this is the end of it. I don't think we're getting another tweet that says, uh, I've changed my mind again, and now I'm coming back. Uh, It is time to move forward as a program, and I think that's what Brian Kelly will do.
0: Yeah, I think anytime you lose a guy like Kayshawn as a talent, I mean, it's a a loss. You know, I mean, just being able to – No doubt roll out receivers like that is is just you know that's what you want that's the type of depth you want as a program um but if he wasn't going to be in an all-in that's something that brian kelly's really tried to address with his program is we need guys that are going to be all in and if you're not you know buying in and aligned then you're going to have issues as our third member of our podcast walks into the room the cat um but I just feel like for Kayshawn, he's one of those guys that over the last year has kind of just shown probably just needs to go pro, needs to make money, obviously support his his family um, and best of luck to him. You know, I hope it works out, you know, and, and he has a long, lengthy career and does all the things that we saw uh, in him as a five star prospect, a guy they beat out Alabama for Bama was always pushing Bama never let up for Kayshawn Boutte beat out Um,
1: Bama multiple times. It sounds like
0: multiple times. Uh, and you know, kudos to LSU at the time for, for winning that recruiting battle. So, um, you know, I, I think people are always going to talk about, well, what, what happened, what happened, but you know, I think over the last year we've seen enough of up and down from Kayshawn just on and off the field to know that's probably the way that best sums it up. So they'll have Malik neighbors off Brian Thomas. They'll have, uh, Kyron Lacey, but they'll also have uh, the four signees in um, Shelton Sampson, uh, Jalen Brown, Kyle Parker, Kai Prion, and of course the transfer addition in Alabama wide receiver Aaron Anderson. All coming into the receiver room, um, all guys that you know will get on the field or have opportunities to early on. I think for the most part, um, and enter that kind of fringe rotation behind the three guys we talked about uh, that are already on the roster and, and certainly have uh, big big roles. Uh, in this offense and have had big roles in this offense all season so it's not one that you like to see because of how talented he is but if he wasn't going to be bought in it's probably for the best that he just goes ahead and does this so best of luck to Kayshawn appreciate him responding and making sure it was uh, true last night and um, you know we'll see what the NFL draft process uh, you know looks like for him as uh, like you said he he wasn't you know up to full speed uh, again this season so hopefully get some time to kind of you know, prepare himself and and go run well and do all the things that he does well. So, Moving on, uh, 15 minutes into the podcast now. Uh, Shay. The, the other big news, we're going to we're gonna turn it up uh, and bring it back to the positive side of things. LSU-Arkansas on the hardwood last night. And look, we're going to get Maddie B on the podcast, um, I, I believe, probably tomorrow, uh, and we're going to have to talk a little bit about that more in depth. But look, the Tigers uh, win 60-57 in the PMAC. Place was rocking. They beat a top-10 Arkansas team. To lead off uh, conference play. Trey Hannibal was dominant. Uh the defense held Arkansas, Arkansas to 37% from the field, 16% from three-point range, and the bench outscored the Razorbacks 25-0. Uh Shay, this was a, a huge win uh for the Tigers and and one that kind of, you know, is an early um, you know, signature win for Matt McMahon this season.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think that the crowd last night, um, my parents went to the game, said it was one of the best crowds they had seen in a while, um, and they were there for every Will Wade game, and uh, Maddie B had talked about it on the board, the crowd was into it. Um, even with students, look, at, students are not in session right now. They won't be back till January. They had a number of students there. Uh, they put some general admission tickets in the student section to fill it out. They all showed out, but in terms of what we're seeing, and like I said, Maddie B is our ace on the basketball front. He'll catch us up on all of that, but I think you're seeing how a guy like Matt McMahon was winning 30 games a year at Murray State. You play really good defense. You limit teams' possessions. You, in in a sense, limit your own, which makes them count even more. You play a very deep bench. I mean, I think 11 guys were in the game last night. Arkansas was playing maybe eight guys. So you're going to see a lot more people playing, and they're really good out of timeouts. They're very well coached, you can tell. And it's a lot to me like the Brian Kelly buy-in. Like you have to buy into this new way of playing basketball, preparing, executing de- defense, all these different elements that Matt, Matt, McMahon wants to preach and, and make the cornerstones of this program and uh, getting a win right out of the gates. I mean, there were people that were projecting LSU would win three games in the SEC. I don't know how many they'll win, but they've won one and they've lost none. And it was to a top 10 team over a top 10 team uh, in Arkansas. So, huge win and I think Billy probably more than anything it gets people invested in the Matt McMahon era right out of the gates because really they could be undefeated right now I mean they had uh, a wild loss what was that Kansas State um, where they had kind of scored at the end and but the clock hadn't started yet and they were playing in a high school gym in the middle of nowhere and it was kind of one of those things where you're like man that could have gone either way Uh, and if it had LSU would be undefeated instead just one loss but their non con schedule, Billy, was not great, you know, outside of a few teams, Wake Forest, they played Kansas State, a couple of others, but it was teams they should have beaten, and a lot of games were close. And I think that's just the brand of basketball they're at right now, just with the pieces they have to work with. But it also means you can go out and play really close against a team like Arkansas and beat them, and that was big for them. So uh, there's real excitement. Look, we're fresh off Kayshawn News, fresh off signing day about to play in a bowl game um, what in less than a week here, four or five days out, and our entire board is about basketball. I did not think that that would happen. So people are excited for the Matt McMahon era. There's, You could not have scripted a better start. Get through the non-con schedule with just one loss, which is a very close one, and then come out and beat a top-10 team in your very first SEC game at home. Um, that really helps set the tone and certainly probably has his players buying in even more to kind of what he wants to do with this program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was a complete rebuild. I mean, for them to lead off league play in Matt McMahon's first you know, season with... I
1: Blake. mean, remember, Billy, they had zero people on roster at one point before Bawani Wilkinson um, and... Uh, what's his name? Um, came back. Uh, why am I blanking? backup Um, guard
0: uh, Adam Miller obviously came back late yeah yeah, but he
1: was hurt Uh, Um, right right
0: right. Uh,
1: oh man I'm blanking on his name well they had both hit the portal um, both guys and I know Adam Miller is sort of uh, in between things Uh, Justice Williams right oh there Um, we go yes
0: Justice Williams
1: so that at one point justice and mawani were in the portal so they were down to nobody and if adam miller wasn't going to come back it was nobody well they get those three bring some murray state kids in hit the portal got a number of other kids so you knew it was going to be a very patchwork it's a lot like the football team like very patchwork expectations are low you're just starting to build the program out but we're starting to see flashes beyond adam miller early on of who can actually be kind of a big-time player for him, uh, and certainly last night, Trey Hannibal was that guy who carried them uh, throughout the game and then made the big buckets down the stretch, and I think we've seen, um, at least through the start of it, that Matt McMahon is good at identifying who's got the hot hand in the game, and we're drawing up plays for that guy. So it was Hannibal last night. He had a great night. They gave him the post-game uh, locker room bath with all the water bottles, and LSU put this out. I know some other people, Cobble had some video, but – uh, for people who say Matt McMahon has no juice, he doesn't bring the energy. Uh, boy, he looked pretty pumped up after that game going into the student section and riling everybody up. So uh, getting a taste of what's to come with the basketball team. And let's be real here. Scott Woodward's hires are looking very good that he's made. Kim Mulkey's got the basketball team completely turned around. Jay Johnson of the baseball team are number one in recruiting and the polls um, and look to be an Omaha contender for sure. Uh, and now we're seeing what Matt McMahon's doing with this basketball team. Obviously, what Brian Kelly did with the football team. Uh, a lot of reason for optimism uh, around the LSU campus in terms of where they're headed across all sports.
0: No question about that. Uh, a win like that maybe moves along some PMAC renovations. But that's just uh, a little fodder for for uh, the podcast. But, hey, Shay, more good news for us. We can finally unveil, and I actually had it up at the beginning of the podcast here, our new sponsor, Uh, You and I were texting with uh, Richard, the owner of RoadShop.com, yesterday to get our orders in to start trying uh, some of their products. If you have issues sleeping, chronic pain, stress, anxiety, those are the products that they have for you. Uh, RoadShop sells CBD, THC, edibles, uh, smokeables, bath salts, pain creams, topicals, vapes, candles, soaps, whatever. They're all handcrafted by this veteran-owned business. Husband and wife, Richard and Char, Uh, they've been awesome to get to know so far. We're excited to try all their stuff, Uh, but it's a craft cannabis, uh, they're craft cannabis farmers, and it's a small batch outfit, uh, sustainable plant medicine, a true holistic type of small business. Uh, They own a a dispensary in Wisconsin, and all of their stuff is licensed by the USDA, uh, and they're third-party tested by Botanicor and ACS Labs. Uh, look, Shay, we have been you know looking at different sponsorship opportunities for this podcast for a minute now. Um, I know we're excited about this one. The website just has a twenty four seven chat function. I actually jumped on there yesterday when we were picking out our stuff. Um, and Shar was the one on the other side uh, answering uh, the questions that I had. So um, that is kind of their their pitch in a way. They are small husband and wife owned companies, uh, veteran owned, um, and they still do all their stuff handcrafted because they don't like how it's all going to, um, you know, kind of the big mass production and things like that. So uh, they've been a blast to get to know and work with so far. We're really excited about this partnership. Uh, We do have a um, promo code for you guys. It's right here on the screen. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, it's... Just Bengal Tiger, all one word. I believe you get 10% off uh, your order at rogueshop.com, R-O-G-U-E shop.com. Issues sleeping, chronic pain, anxiety, stress. I mean, that's the the name of the game. That's what they're in it for. Um, I know I get done playing hockey. I'm excited to try the the pain cream that they have uh, to kind of let let my body recharge and kind of settle down um, after some late night beer league hop, hockey games. So, um, Shay, uh, if you have anything more to add, we're just excited to, to start this partnership and, and get it going with you guys.
1: Yeah. And I feel like too, um, we're in the CBD era and everything. It's kind of like uh, NIL where people think it's like a, uh, a sticky thing to talk about and it's, uh, under the table. Oh no, it's, it's legal now. Um, but Rogue Shop has worked with a lot of different on three sites already sponsoring different elements of podcasts and boards and stuff like that. Uh, so we're pumped to get to know them. We enjoyed, we should say too, you support them based off uh, not just your need for uh, any sort of, like you said, sleep habits, stuff, back pain, um, two things that I have issues with already. And I'm only 36 years old. So uh, those will continue on through life. Uh, but he, we also, massive college football fans. And uh, big dislikers of the Texas AM Aggies. I hate to just put it out there like that, but uh, you're at least supporting a, a brand who uh big football fans. And uh, I believe he's a uh, big Texas fan. So,
0: yes, he's uh, there. They were uh, in San Antonio or they live in San Antonio, uh, but they are also based out of Wisconsin. So they're licensed to uh, run their company uh, and manuf- manufacture it in Wisconsin and Texas, but they ship all over. Um, so, they grow, they grow their own cannabis. Um, they do everything by hand. I mean, they're just awesome. I mean, we did spend half that conversation on the phone with them talking about uh, how they're excited to, you know, get to all these SEC schools. Now that Texas is coming into the SEC soon, um, you know, obviously they want to beat the Aggies now that they'll be uh, in, in the SEC and having to play them again. Uh, they're ready for that. So um, we've got a big college football fan on our hands. He's going to be active on the boards. Uh, he's a member of our Inside Texas site. Um, so show them some love, reach out, try it. Um, they also own a cannabis consulting company called don't grow it yourself. Um, so they're just all in on this. Um, they've really bought into doing it the right way. So we're excited to partner with them. We're excited to try all their stuff. Uh, and we've heard great things from talking with the other on three sites. We really you know, dove in deep to this. This has been going on, I think for about a month. So we're excited to try it. We're excited for the sponsorship and thank you to rogue shop com for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, you'll see them once a week on our podcast. Again, promo code BANGLETIGER, 10% off um, legal C, uh, CBD, THC, and more. So if you have anxiety, stress, chronic pain, and trouble sleeping, just check them out. Rogueshop.com. So Shay, first ad read in the books. Um, we can let the users in the chat uh, and our comment section grade me out. Let me know what I got to improve on on that. But hey, um, this is this is now time that we've waited for a, for a while uh, on this front to recap signing day. It, we, it, it got wild, travel plans, Christmas and bold travel. Let's give the people what they want after having to listen to me. Uh, it's time to talk about signing day, Shay.
1: Yes, and we will focus here um, over the next course of this podcast and then uh, on the high school guys. So they signed 25 high school prospects. Then we will come back again uh, this week with the Transfer Portal podcast. The Brian Kelly announced seven Transfer Portal editions. There will be more uh, down the road. You can catch kind of some of our thoughts there on the website, on the Bengal Tiger. Uh, still a dollar for a year, and you get the hat. that Billy's rocking right there. Uh, I do not know how much longer the dollar for the year is going to last. So if you haven't, yeah, if you haven't jumped on it, do so. Um, But yes, signing day, I believe Billy, they finished or they're sitting currently um, at number six or seven in the rankings, which we talked a lot about when people just, Hey, Billy, Shay, where do you think they'll finish out? We said in that four to eight range, that's where they are. That's a really good class, especially if you've addressed uh, needs and, I don't know where you want to start. There's so many different elements of this that I think are important to hit on, but let's talk about actually the comings and goings of signing day that brought maybe the big news because a lot of guys and and I hate this because I really think people lose focus of all the kids who stuck with you and signed, you know, and were committed and were trying to get flipped by other schools and never budged and ended up signing with the Tigers. So we'll touch on some of those guys, but Let's hit the headliners first. Um, and we'll touch on three guys here because there was a, an element of kind of all three that became signing day news. One, Dalen Austin flips from LSU to Oregon on signing day, a cornerback, a big position of need for them that they've already now addressed in the portal. We'll talk about that um, later on. But Dalen Austin, we knew this one was coming from talking to people at LSU. Um, they knew uh, and then pointed to the fact that Uh, Oregon having one of his old high school coaches on staff really opened the door for them to always get him onto campus. He was taking other visits elsewhere. Um, They were not surprised at all uh, that the flip ultimately came on signing day. They knew it was coming. We shared with the board that we fully expected uh, that if he did sign in the early period, it would not be with LSU. There was a time where he said he was going to hold off until February. His mom even told you that uh, they thought they were going to hold off until February. Uh, You see Billy with the eye roll there. Uh, It did not play out that way. He indeed signed with Oregon. Um, Then at the same time, let's stick with the same position. Cornerback uh, Desmond Ricks, almost said Eli there. Uh, Desmond Ricks goes from kind of at the beginning of the week, we had heard LSU was leading to, then we kind of started to break it to the board that, hey, look, things are trending in the the other direction now. Um, NIL became a big factor there. Uh, Down the stretch, um, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, And the third one being, so two cornerbacks not in the boat. No surprise that they turn around and sign Denver Harris and Zai Alexander, two corners out of the portal. So quickly kind of made up for those guys not being part of the class or at least soften the blow. But then they get Camorian Pimpton on signing day, flipping him from Vanderbilt. Texas was in the mix. A lot of schools were knocking on the door, trying to get in the mix. LSU and Texas were the only two that were able to get him on campus for visits. 6'6 in the 230 range, Billy, one of the best pass catchers at tight end in this class Uh, they actually signed a couple of good ones uh, in Jackson McGohan uh, another pass catcher at tight end uh, as well as Pimpton then you've got Mac Markway who certainly will come on as sort of a blocker first Uh, so the tight end spot got a lot of help but I love Pimpton and I think he's going to have a big career in Baton Rouge I think he got really overshadowed on signing day um, not just by LSU signing 25 guys and him just being one of them but By the fact that everybody was paying attention to what Desmond Ricks was going to do, not so much the excitement over Pimpton landing a tight end, but you had seen him in person at North Crowley. Uh, They were an undefeated team for much of the season. He played a big role in that. And he's just, there's, as Brian Kelly said, who is, when Brian Kelly was at Cincinnati, he had Travis Kelsey. You know, when he was at Notre Dame, he had a ton of tight ends that are still in the NFL. He said Pimpton is about as good of, a combination of just pure size and athleticism, 6'6", you know, two thirty five, two forty, and then pass catching ability. So, Kelly said, as we hone him into that, you know, full tight end role of being able to be an inline guy, flexing him out, doing everything they want to do at the tight end. Uh, that the upside there, Brian Kelly said, is about as good as you can ask for in a tight end, and it's about as good as he's seen. So a position that in my mind was the weakest on the team this year, where essentially they just had to rely on Mason Taylor, a true freshman. Cole Taylor ends up transferring out after the season. You were down to just Mason Taylor. So to come away from signing day with three tight ends, I thought was a really big deal.
0: Yeah. And I I mean, watching Pimpton this year, both on film and then getting to see him in person and kind of put all that together. I mean, what a prospect. I I mean, he is just, in terms of upside, in terms of what you want when you recruit players who maybe aren't, let's just say, like a Deshaun Womack, who's going to come right in and you fully expect him to be potentially a starter next year. When you sign a guy like Camorian Pimpton, who already had a 1,000 yards and I believe probably finished with 18 touchdowns on the year. Yeah, I think he had
1: 17, 18, yeah.
0: 17, 18 touchdowns. You have somebody that has been really productive, but then you see him in person, and he's got all this frame to add some weight, add some muscle. He had just transferred to North Crowley, so he was just even getting comfortable in their offenses here. Uh, we talked about it at length, kind of previewing his decision. I think this is a massive, massive land for LSU because you bring back these three receivers, you sign a great class of receivers, but then you add in Pimpton, who can move all over. I mean, you give him time this summer uh, to work with the strength and conditioning staff. He's going to add some weight. They'll eventually be able to move him down and and be kind of a reliable blocker. He's willing. He's able athletically to do it. Um, He just needs more size to him uh, in terms of mass. But what a frame. I believe he's got one of the top catch radiuses in the entire country out of wide receivers and tight ends. Um, He's somebody that Mike Dunrock is going to be able to play around with, quite honestly. Uh, He's not going to be a receiver. He's going to be a tight end. uh, But he does have that ability to flex out uh Jackson McGohan is is more of a true tight end so you bring those two guys in and we'll see what Mac Markway does as well as having Mason Taylor back a tight end room at least for the long term future is very much solidified we'll see if they you know go after a tight end in the portal it's a very thin portal crop it was the same story last year they have somebody that's done it a bit in Mason Taylor they lost Cole Taylor they might rely on these freshmen early on uh, and they'll see what the portal brings but um Look, I I think to win that battle over Vanderbilt was a lot harder than people give them credit for. He's a very loyal kid. He really struggled with it from what we heard behind the scenes. And he's really kept he really kept to himself uh, for the most part uh, about his recruitment and his decision. Um, And and so, you know, Texas had him on campus, uh, but they never really kind of even sniffed this one. We heard it was an LSU Vanderbilt uh, battle pretty much after the dust settled on that front. Um, So, you know, big recruiting win. You mentioned Desmond Ricks. Dalen Austin goes elsewhere. Isaac Smith, which, you know, we kind of heard early in the week, was just going to end up signing with Mississippi State. Um, And there's plenty of reasons why, you know, he just ended up staying in Mississippi. But as far as Ricks, you know, we can kind of transition into that one. Monday, I think it was Monday, we had heard that things were trending well. Um, LSU held on to its lead. And this is where things get just a little dicey in these final hours of recruiting. Um, and then I believe on Tuesday, I put the pick in uh, for LSU to land Desmond Ricks. Uh, and by late that night, we had gotten tipped off uh, that something was amiss. And this is just, I think, an example of just how hard it is sometimes to to beat out in Alabama. It's just a prime example of it. LSU's done it before. We just talked about them beating out uh, Kay, uh, Bama for Kayshawn Boutte. He's a Louisiana kid. And sometimes recruitments don't go their way. I was on uh, earlier this week with with uh, one of the um, guys on, on Jordy's uh, show, with Nick, and I just said, look, they did a really good job on this recruitment. And sometimes they don't go your way. And when the Ricks family said, you know what, we are done, there wasn't time for LSU to make that – final counter and you posted it on the board. And I agree. I, I think this is, this is a recruitment that they w- would not have lost for NIL if they were given another chance. And it was just the timing of the family that they said, you know what, we're good and we're ready to make the final call. And I, I think that's kind of what, it, That that's kind of as simple as I can make it. You know, I mean, teams are trading punches. But when they finally made that that decision, they stuck with it and didn't keep things open for LSU to take the final swing, which, you know, quite frankly, they in terms of NIL, they had a very, very, very good package.
1: And people think NIL, too, and they see some of these quarterback numbers. We're not talking millions of dollars here. This the numbers we have heard are not even close to that, but it was one of those things. Look, we don't know the true details because they don't make any of this stuff public, right? Like, we don't know exactly what it was. But from talking to enough people on both sides, it sounded like LSU had a a spot that they were already at that others were not. That's why LSU was sort of out front. He had obviously made a ton of trips to LSU. He felt good there. But as things went back and forth, and, and look, you can make a bunch of trips to LSU and feel good about it. He had made about the same amount of trips to Bama, and it was very clear that he was interested in their program. I think it got to a point where Bama came right back to where LSU was at and said basically take it or leave it. We're not getting into a bidding war, and he took it, and that's okay. Look, NIL is legal. There's nothing wrong with that, and if you want to let that factor into your decision, that's fine. I think when all things are even and you've got Bama and LSU for an out-of-state kid like him who's from Virginia, he played at IMG, he views Bam in a different light than LSU, at least in terms of win losses over the course of his recruitment, his high school career. I also think when he reclassified, that shrunk what would have been a year and a half of recruiting into like three months. So we said all along, this is going to come down to those final visits. It's going to come down to the final week. And that's exactly what happened. And he was high on Florida after their visit. Then he gets high on Bam after the visit. Then LSU gets feels good about things. And all of a sudden, LSU enters the week as – presumed leader and Bama comes back and uh, and ultimately signs him and um, I do think like people were saying like oh LSU wasn't willing to you know get into the NIL game and match Bama I don't think it was any of that I think both teams were about right at the same uh, spot in terms of um, kind of what the NIL future would look like for a kid like Rick's and he chose Bama that is what it is and people say oh this never happens to Kirby Smart Georgia's undefeated, they're coming off a national championship, they're the number 1 seed, and Bama signed the two best players in Georgia that Georgia wanted badly. So this is happening across the board. Bama, let me remind you how mad Nick Saban was that A&M went out and as he said, well they just bought everybody. And every year prior to that Bama was the number 1 team. If you didn't think Bama was going to come back this cycle and sign seven or eight five stars you were kidding yourself because that's just what they were going to do Nick Saban was again let me remind you when that was not a press conference when Nick Saban said well they just went out and outspent everybody that was a booster event to Alabama boosters Nick Saban was sending a very clear message if we're entering this NIL thing this is on y'all let's step it up we've got to get rally the troops and if not people like A&M who have more money, Are just going to go out and spend it on kids and where's a and m right now Uh, that approach didn't work they're well outside the top 10 they hemorrhaged a bunch of their class a lot of guys hit the portal from a year ago so i think every team is finding out how to balance nil with the locker room or what's smart or What do you really want to promise to a kid who's never played a down? Do you want to really put more focus into kids who are on the team and you've seen them produce and then they get those NIL opportunities and all of that will be a work in progress as time goes on. And I don't think I'll say this and everyone that I've talked to has said the same. If you're talking about for next year, Dalen Austin was the bigger loss. Dalen Austin is college ready right now. Desmond Ricks needs to be developed but he has raw tools I think that college coaches especially corner coaches see and say hey I can mold him into something special so perhaps long term Desmond Ricks will be the better player we'll see but LSU needs help right now I thought Dalen Austin was the bigger loss for them especially given he was committed for six months Desmond Ricks was never committed to LSU he was just in the mix and people will say like oh well we were always the leader Desmond never said that that was just buzz being put together by all the schools that were sort of recruiting him saying, Hey, we feel like we're chasing LSU and LSU sources being like, Hey, we feel like we're the lead dog here. This isn't a Patrick Sertan situation where he himself just went out and said for two years, LSU is my favorite team. They're my leader. They're my leader. And on signing day signs with Bama. That's not what happened here. They were in a dog fight all the way, especially with the reclassification and ultimately it doesn't go your way but you move on. One kid is not going to make or break a program. Um, certainly not one kid who's going to need a lot of development. Like you said, this is not a Deshaun Womack, the edge rusher they signed out of Maryland who could climb even higher than the number 20 player in the country. I think he and Keon Keeley, who signed with BAM are the two best edge rushers in America. His stats were ridiculous. Womacks were playing for a St. Francis team that played all the best competition. Like you think IMG plays good teams. St. Francis is going around playing all the best teams in the country he had what seventeen sacks and like thirty tackles for loss. They only played ten games, so there is a thought that he's the B.J. Ogilari replacement, heir apparent, Harold Perkins type of like, hey, he's going to be all over the place in year one. So you, it wasn't that kind of loss. It still stings because you really needed corner depth, and he could be a good developmental guy that ends up being a really good player for you. But it didn't work out, and the same for Dalen Austin. I think with Dalen Austin it's the risk you run of recruiting California kids. Like when you have to sign, that's just so far from home. And what does he do? He stays on the West Coast and goes to Oregon. No different when I told people, and we both did, and everybody agrees here has been around recruiting long enough, when people were saying, oh, when are you going to pick your put your picks in for Isaac Smith to LSU? Everyone else is putting in picks for Isaac Smith to LSU. Yep. If you think that an uncommitted Mississippi kid is not going to have – everything done for them to keep them in-state by Mississippi State or Ole Miss at signing day, then you haven't been following recruiting long enough. He stayed home. That was not a surprise. And I think that this staff will realize this. A lot of the staff has not recruited Mississippi before, Um, you know, if you're coming from Notre Dame and things like that. But Mississippi is just one of those states where it's very, very tough to go in there and get the best players, especially if they're remaining uncommitted towards signing day. um, And you think that then you'll pull them outside the state. I can remember Billy throughout much of the process, the season that it almost felt like a foregone conclusion from the Bama side that they were getting Sunturine Perkins, a linebacker out of Mississippi who's one of the best players in Mississippi. Lo and behold, he sticks with the rebels and signs with Ole Miss. So recruiting Mississippi is a very tough task if, uh, if you think you're having to go down there until the very end, like they've signed guys out of Mississippi, but Deion Smith, others were committed. They were already in the boat. So, like, it was just about holding on to them. Going to get a kid like that is tough at the end. It's why we never put picks in. It's why we said we thought he was going to just go to state and stay home. Uh, not a surprise. Not a surprise to me. A California kid uh, ends up staying out west. And this is all part of st- college coaching staffs. So and now the one at LSU realizing that and adjusting the approach moving forward. I doubt that they're going to be heavy in California like they were on Dalen Austin. I doubt that they're going to be hinging any sort of big positional plans on getting Mississippi kids that aren't already committed and taking it to signing day. So it's just things you learn as you go through a process and much like with NIL, you're always going to be evolving Uh, and we'll see how the staff approaches things this next cycle. But um, All the fanfare of the actual signing day aside, really great class. And, Billy, they got 24 guys that were committed, tossing Pimpton to get to 25, across the finish line. And I can very vividly remember people saying, they'll never sign all four of the receivers. Jalen Brown is in Miami's territory, Miami's NIL and everybody. They'll never get him. They signed all four of the receivers. Kyle Parker's flirting with Texas. Everybody's on Kyle Parker. He's not going to be able to get out of the Lone Star State. No drama. Both those guys were among the first kids to sign in the morning. So the staff did a really nice job of holding on to guys that – and I think this is important to remember because I think this is a real testament to how good this staff is at pitching a vision. Twenty-two, mind you, Daron Reed and Joshua Mickens uh, decommitted, two kids that were part of the class, but they entered the year with 23 commits. That was before a game was ever played that was before they ever beat Bama or won the west or any of that 23 kids had bought in to just the vision of kelly's program and i can remember it vividly um i won't say his name uh but after the florida state game when they lost we were catching up with recruits and uh one recruit told us oh no i knew that they weren't going to be any good this year the coaches told me that at lsu and i still committed anyways they said year one is not where we're going to want to be. We're patching together a roster. We're bringing in new coordinators, bringing in nine of 10 new on-field coaches. We have a new head coach, a new strength coach, a new nutritionist. Everything had been turned over. Vegas set the over-under at six and a half wins. LSU was telling kids in the off-season, here's where we're going to go, but it won't be this year. Well, lo and behold, they win the West in year one, far exceeding expectations. That gets you excited about what's to come, but... Those kids who all bought in on just the vision, I think are going to be, they're really happy about those guys because now those guys got to see, whoa, y'all are really putting this together quickly. I feel even better about my decision. And from talking to a couple of coaches, these kids are signed now so they can talk about them. There are a lot of coaches on on the staff right now who are excited about the kids they brought in because they are like, these kids want to be here. And there was – Never any doubt, because when other schools tried to flip them, they said, thank you. But no, thank you. I'm staying committed. And that's what you want in the transfer portal era is guys who want to be there. Um, You don't want to be pulling an arm and a leg and twisting, you know, twisting their arm on signing day eve to get them to come. And a year later, they're gone, you know, because things didn't work out for whatever reason. So as you build a roster that actually year to year has some sustainability, You want to be getting guys who want to be at LSU. And I know that sounds sort of like cheesy, like you you want talent. They got talent. They got guys who fit needs. But I think they also did a good job of getting guys who just want to be part of the program. They want to play at LSU. And I also think they got a lot of leaders. I'll tell you this, just from being around the team hotel Billy. there's a lot of people excited about this class. And guys like Toviano, who they think are going to be real leaders in the locker room and can galvanize – a safety room or a corner room or just a defense you know whatever it might be and can lead by example so um there's there's a lot of buzz uh around this class top to bottom look you look at the bottom the lowest ranked guys are Dylan Carpenter and Ashton Stamps they're two of my favorite guys in the class I thought Dylan Carpenter out of Santa Mont was a great late flip for them uh, getting him away from UL into LSU's class I think he'll play a lot of football Ashton Stamps comes out of a a Rummel program that just does such a great job of getting guys ready for the next level uh, and having that mentality built in to compete. Uh, And Stamp showed it. He came to camp in the summer three different times before he finally got offered uh, and just kept working and working and working. So top to bottom, I love the class. They signed a trio of five stars in Womack and Lance Hurd and Shelton Sampson. Uh, You keep the two five stars from Louisiana at home, those two guys uh, that were committed. Other schools tried to flip them. They didn't waver, and they did a really good job of. This is something I was talking about with uh, some members of the staff this week, and we're sort of just reflecting upon when they first got here. There was a reality that when they got here, you lean on Louisiana. That, like Brian Kelly said, I, I came here because Louisiana gives us such good, you know, gives LSU such good uh, a base level for being good. Like you, if you just signed Louisiana guys every year, you'd have a top five, a top ten class every single year. So if you can hone in on Louisiana and then use your national brand to go get Womack and go to Minnesota and get Jackson Howard, go to Miami and get Jalen Brown, get into Texas and, and stuff like that and beat out A&M in Texas for uh, guys like Pempton and Kyle Parker, then you're setting yourself up really well. Now you're knocking on the door for a top five class. That's where they sat pretty much all year. Uh, but to double back to what I was saying, a lot of people feel like, man, when we got here, We were told, you have no shot at Arch Manning. You have no shot at Jaden Osbury. You have no shot at Tackett Curtis. You have no shot at Derek Williams. Well, that's four of the top 10 kids in Louisiana. Like, what do we do from here? Well, then they just went out and got every other kid in Louisiana that was a big-time recruit. None of them went anywhere else. Every single one of them chose LSU. So as you move forward, I think they're going to have a really nice kind of foundation set of how we recruit Louisiana, how you attack the state, how you prioritize it. Um, And you look at it this year, Bama, who has typically been the team, the only team that can come in and take the high profile guys. They signed one player out of Louisiana and it was Eli Holstein, at quarterback who belongs in that initial conversation of you were never getting Eli Holstein. He was committed to A&M at the time anyways, and he flipped to Bama. So I think the staff did a really good job. If I'm thinking about like the whole cycle put together, of stepping into a situation where five of the top ten players in the state were not coming to LSU, and there was nothing they were going to do to change their minds. So for them to be able to pivot, clean up the rest of Louisiana, and then go outside the state and sign the guys that they did um, was impressive. Uh, I really am high on this class. I think it filled a lot of needs, and more so than anything, and I'm, I said this after the Desmond Ricks thing, the transfer portal is there as a buffer that no longer makes you feel like missing out on a couple of kids that were big targets for you ruined a class you know and it bums you out if you're a staff member a coach that's put years into recruiting a kid and at the end he goes somewhere else and that's natural just building relationships but if you can turn around two days later after losing dalen austin and desmond ricks and sign a two-time fcs all american and zia alexander out of southeastern a lauraville kid who uh, a lot of people liked coming out of high school who's now been in a college program, has a lot of starts. He can come in and help right away. Denver Harris, mid-season All-American before he ran into his troubles and didn't play the rest of the way, but he was a five-star a year ago. Aaron Anderson comes, yeah, you're losing Keyshawn Butte. That was kind of expected anyways. What wasn't expected was a year after Aaron Anderson signs with Bama and leaves the state that here he is coming back home to play for the Tigers. The portal can Can hurt you if you've got guys going in that you don't want being in the portal, but it can really save you. Uh, And we're seeing that here early in the Brian Kelly era, and he doesn't want that to be the case every year. And we've already seen it drop drastically. They signed 15 high school kids and 20 portal kids in Brian Kelly's first year. This year they signed 25 high school kids and they're at seven portal additions. So the numbers are already flipped. He said he wants it to be more of we're signing about 29, 30 total guys a year, and 25 are high school guys, four or five are portal guys that will help us out. But you aren't every year just having to rely on the portal to, you know, build a roster. And I think with 30 plus years of coaching experience, Brian Kelly knows what he's doing. He's got a lot of talented coaches on staff who have experience. Um, They'll be fine. I'm impressed by what they've done in just one year beyond winning the West and having a chance at a a 10 win season and uh, finishing in the top 15 in the rankings and, you know, potentially appearing as a top 10 team to open the season next year, having a top 10 recruiting class. There is nothing to complain about after one year of the Brian Kelly era. In fact, it's just a lot to be excited about.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I mean, you look back at this whole cycle and I mean, when they first got here, they dished out a lot of 24, 25 offers. But if you watch 2023, they were fairly targeted. There are a lot of offers that you'll see on our Offer list page that came from the prior staff. I mean, Ruben Owens for one. You know, there are some other ones that you know they kind of tried to get in on. I mean, if you look back at some of the recruitments over the course of the uh, whole run for Brian Kelly when he got here, I mean, I think of a Brandon Ennis who I visited in Miami. You know, he said, "I want to you know take an LSU official visit." Well, LSU didn't even official with official him, uh, and and that one kind of faded away. They they didn't waste. Their time, I felt like in this cycle. And I think that's important because there were players in the past that, and we sat here early in the season when the buzz started to build around Desmond Ricks. And I said, this recruitment's probably going to come down to the final 24 hours or so. I guess I forgot that a little bit on the timing of my pick, but that's okay. At the time, I was told he was going to sign with LSU Wednesday morning, announced Thursday night, and Put the pick in. Pretty good intel, backed up by LSU sources who were like, uh, probably not supposed to tell you that, but that's what we're kind of thinking right now. Wasn't set in stone, of course. They knew that with recruiting. It wasn't like they were going to be you know, caught flat-footed. They kept swinging away at the recruitment, but they didn't have recruitments that, like you said, they based their whole class around or they... Drummed up buzz that wasn't there. Like they could have probably found a way to stay in the race for Yonel Aguero, for example. But Yonel Aguero was never going to go to LSU. It's never going to end up there. Brandon Ennis, they could have wasted an official visit on him. Ohio State held, held all the buzz pretty much on that one, start to finish. You know, there were other prospects across the board that they just didn't waste their time with. You know. And sometimes the cookie crumbles in the right way. You look at the receiver class that they ended up with. You look at the defensive tackle class, which, you know, we don't have anything to drink, but defensive tackle uh, mentioned there. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's vodka, Shay. Um, and, you know, they they were still very targeted. Amari Washington, Duran Reed, um, only a few defensive tackle targets that Jamar Kane was really swinging on. And they just didn't waste their time. And I think that's important in terms of looking at this as a whole because they went in on guys that they felt they could get, and for the most part, they got them. Brad Davis probably officialed the most players out of any position group, and I'm just kind of saying that off the top of my head. And he had big targets out there like T.J. Shanahan and Chase Basantis, but he also was swinging on Lance Hurd, Tyree Adams, D.J. Chester, and LSU – Even as Auburn late down the stretch tried to get him, Florida State tried to get him. But Auburn was the leader this summer before that official visit. Michigan held a a silent commitment from him at one point uh, from Paul Mabenga. And they were able to swing away, get in there, and get him done. And I think those are very important things to keep in mind when looking at this class and this process as a whole. They really did a good job covering their bases. Deshaun Womack was getting pressed all the way until signing day. I was even told by a source elsewhere in the SEC. Watch out. If you're looking for one surprise that might not be on your radar right now. Deshaun Womack. But Jamar Kane got him signed. Got him on board. And he's probably one of the most important signees. Uh, honestly, maybe maybe the most important signee out of the high school ranks. In this class. Outside of a Javian Toviano. Just kind of off the top of my head. Those are the type of things that this coaching staff accomplished, and they didn't do it without NIL. Everybody, you know, you you talked about the vision. These kids bought into the vision, but also at the end of the day, you need NIL. These kids, especially at the highest level, aren't signing for free for the most part. Very, very few. And even if it's a little deal with a local business, even if it's this, even if it's that, they did it the right way with their targeted approach. Uh, of players, we saw guys like Sam and Pemba say, "I'm an official visit to LSU." LSU said, "Yeah, we're not going to waste our time," and, and I think that's important. They they knew what they were up against with certain. Uh, they were coming cl- cutting it close on official visits. They knew they needed to, you know, distribute that appropriately, and they didn't waste their time. and And they signed a terrific class because of it. They supplemented with the portal well. I think with guys like Isaac Smith and Desmond Ricks. You can't fault them for swinging away there and you can't fault them for staying in it to the very end. Maybe Isaac Smith, you look back and you say, Oh, he's a Mississippi kid, but he was also pretty active about getting to LSU. Um, And so I I just think they, they did a really nice job of not wasting their time. We look back at some classes in the past and you could say, Oh, that kid's not going to end up at LSU. They lead in the summer, but he's not going to end up there this year. They got the guys that they officialed for the most part. They got the guys they felt they could get out of Louisiana and really good players. They didn't reach. I mean, we're si- we were sitting here at the beginning of December saying, okay, they could get Harvey Broussard in. They could get Carl Williams in. Does Ashley Williams open things up? Does this guy, does that guy in Louisiana? They didn't, they didn't reach. They just said, no. you know what? We're good with what they have. And I think that says a lot about how they're going to approach things. I, I, I can't stand reaching just to fill a position and, you know, you have the transfer portal for that reason as well to to help some.
1: I think that because of the portal, you're not reaching on a lot of guys anymore. And look, they'll they'll take guys that they think they can develop, but then again, they're like Louisiana guys, again, the lowest ranked guys in the in this class per the rankings, Dylan Carpenter. That was a senior year Eval from Louisiana, and they felt great about Ashton Stamps, Louisiana guy that they had in camp multiple times over the summer. They put their own eyes on it, they felt good about it. I'll say this as we wrap up, Billy, because everyone, again, drank D-line talk here, D-tackle talk. So much rhetoric on our board is LSU will never be on Bama or Georgia's level if they can't recruit D-linemen like that. Well, let let me break this down for you in a couple parts. One, your D-line recruiting from the start is going to be based off what Louisiana gives you. When they give you Mason Smith, you're set. That's a five star. You just recruit him; he holds it down for you. That's you know big time, right? When you look at what Alabama and Georgia did, people are putting this rhetoric forward. Oh, if we're going to be on their level, we have to keep up with them. Okay, let's see what Bama did. D line, they signed James Smith, a five star. He's from Montgomery. Let's keep it rolling. D line, uh, Jordan Reynold, who's a not look. There's only a handful of top fifty D tackles, anyways. Uh, Jordan or not, they went to Tyler, Texas. They got him. So you did a nice job. He went out of state and got a guy. LSU had done that as well with Deron Reed, who's ranked even higher than that. But at the end of the day, Auburn, the school close to home, comes calling through a coaching change. NIL comes into play. And now all of a sudden, he's not in the class anymore. You look more at Bama, they signed one more D lineman or two more, uh, Edric Hill and Hunter Osborne. But Osborne's from Trustville, Alabama. Edric Hill was a guy that LSU looked at and really didn't even get that deeply involved in. Um, and he ends up in Alabama's class coming out of Missouri. You look at Georgia. Georgia signed Jordan Hall. Everyone knew Georgia had led for Jordan Hall forever. That was not a big thing. Bama was trying to flip him. Uh, ends up not working. Um, six with Georgia, which where everyone thought he would go, coming out of Jacksonville. Uh, but, point being, you move beyond him, the next ranked D lineman uh, that Georgia signed was 172 in the country. The Outside the top 20 D tackles, Jamal Jarrett. Coming out of North Carolina. And that was it. That was their haul. They're not out there rolling out four or five stars that signed as D tackles. And you look at the D tackles nationally, Billy. David Hicks out of Katy, you saw him play a million times. Where does he go? He goes to AM. He stays in state. James Smith, we already mentioned him, number two D tackle in the country from Montgomery, Alabama. Where does he go? He goes to Bama. Peter Woods is the number three in some places, and let's at least call him a top five. Uh, defensive tackle in the class from Alabaster. That's the shadows of Tuscaloosa. He goes to Clemson. Um, so even Bama you know, is going to have guys from inside the state uh, go elsewhere. Uh, David Hobbs is a highly ranked guy from North Carolina. He's going to Tennessee. Uh, Clemson went to Georgia and took Vic Burley, who was a guy that Georgia was on. Um, Florida went to Alabama and took Kelby Collins, uh, who was a guy that was being recruited by Bama. So even Bama and Georgia are dealing with hey, look, we've got guys in state, but other teams are coming in and grabbing them. We focus maybe on some other guys. They miss on Jordan Hall at the end. So it wasn't a deep de-tackle class to start with. So when you had Deron Reed committed, you felt really good about it. It wasn't like you had four guys committed, but you felt really good about the one you had. So that burned them late. That will be one of the things you look back and uh, wish you could have gotten done for you. But um, still, the point remains for me, um, not, there aren't teams, even Bama and Georgia out there signing two and three, five star defensive tackles just didn't happen this cycle. And the portal can help you there. They've already addressed some portal needs along the D line. They'll have to do it more. Um, but you'll have to now focus on next year. What does Louisiana give you on the defensive line? Lock them in early, then expand from there. Jamar Kane has worked all over Arizona state, Oklahoma, Schools where he had to recruit nationally. He's got a foothold in different places. He went and got Womack uh, out of the Baltimore, D.C. area. That was a big one. You can think he'll do that again in terms of knowing he has to go get defensive, interior defensive linemen. And let's remember, Mason Smith is back. Makai Wingo's back. They will be your two starters. Um, and Roy was always thought to head pro. You'll see what Guillory can give you as that third guy. I've talked to a lot of people who think that, Gillery's really going to take a leap forward with Jaqueline gone from the room just because now there's, there's a lot more snaps to go around. Uh, Jaqueline was really, when Mason was hurt, Jaqueline and Makai were getting all the attention and then playing like 90% of the snaps during games. You think J- Jacobian can make that leap. We'll see what some of these transfer portal guys can do for him. But again, it's a position you're low at, just like corner, uh, and you just hope you can build enough this offseason to where you can get through another season recruit some more guys into the program and develop them this was never going to be an overnight um, situation where you've built a whole new team that you feel great about long term in the brian kelly era there were always going to be pieces that you said that spot right there still needs work and from the day brian kelly was hired and they went out and signed a bunch of portal additions at corner that were all grad transfers that only had one year of eligibility pretty much. And Makai Garner being the only one who didn't. And he had such a good year that he's going to go pro now that we called it out. Then this is a two to three year rebuild at corner. You do not have a bunch of young guys in there that it's next man up. So we saw them take Denver Harris. We saw them take Ziya Alexander. Uh, we're seeing them on uh, Cyprus coming out of Virginia, who they're pushing for a visit. He's the top uncommitted uh, prospect in the country uh, in the portal right now. He's a cornerback. So, they're still trying to address these needs, but there were going to be needs. That's not some end of the world, press the panic button. Is Robert Steeples and Jamar Kane and Kelly good enough? Do they see it? Of course they see it. If we see it, they see it. And they've been around this business a long time. They'll get things figured out. Um, they see where the needs are. And again, this is... As a program, you're on a multi-year rebuild. This was not a one-year fix, especially when you took so many transfers last year. They're bringing that number down some, and um, I think it's still a reason to be excited uh, for the future of the program after winning the West and now finishing uh, with the top seven class.
0: Well said. I I think, like you said, um, uh, if they see it, we see it. I think that's one thing that the staff does fairly well. I think they recognize uh, certain things and certain chatter um, doesn't mean they listen to the fans by any means. They do their own thing, but uh, they're very good, I think, about being aware of uh, what needs to actually be addressed versus just kind of taking a my way or the highway approach uh, on recruiting. So with that, guys, we've gone over an hour now. We are going to let Shay get back to uh, SeaWorld or Disneyland or whatever he wants to do uh, sh- shopping, uh, I hear, is on the agenda for Shea. Uh, as everybody knows, is a big, big fashionista fashionista right I, I guess but uh with that we're going to shut down this edition of the podcast guys a dollar for a year subscribe to the bengal tiger get the hat we're coming up on our 1 year anniversary so i would imagine uh this dollar for a year is not going to be around much longer jump on board we're closing in on 4000 subscribers to the site which is unbelievable took us years and years at our previous stop to get there um subscribe to the youtube channel as well hit that subscribe button we appreciate all you guys listening we hope this podcast gave you some, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a gift for us missing out around the holidays and uh, helps you as you're running around uh, with family as the new year approaches. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the podcast to talk about more in depth those transfer additions to the Tigers and, and kind of, uh, you know, preview the Purdue game as well uh, set for Monday night. So with that, for Shea Dixon, I'm Billy body shutting down this edition of the Bengal Tiger podcast Thanks for listening, everyone. And a quick reminder to check out rogueshop.com, R-O-G-U-E, shop.com. Appreciate their first uh, podcast as our subscribers. So catch you next time. And uh, thanks for listening.